welcome, everybody. This is a live episode of the All About Audiology podcast. Um, on Instagram Live, we are being joined very soon by Jessica Nelson, who has a lot of life experience to share. She is a mom and she is going to share so much of her experience. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, the host of the All About Audiology podcast. First of all, thank you so much for joining me. So fun to talk Thanks to you. Thanks for having me. And welcome to our to see you again. listeners. Awesome. I want everyone to know that we're going to be talking for about 20 minutes today. I got some questions for Jessica. And after that, we're going to go and convene over at Clubhouse. If you're not on Clubhouse, get on it because it's so fun. We can do real Q&As and hear from everybody kind of equally instead of like we talk, you listen. So that's going to be fun. And I'm Dr. Lilach over there, D-R-L-I-L-A-C-H. You want to share your handle, Jessica? I am simply Jessica Nelson, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-E-L-S-O-N. Awesome. All right. So Jessica, tell us a little bit about, well, the topic of today's conversation is how do you process and how do you remember the experience of finding out that your child is deaf or hard of hearing? So would you like to tell us about your kids and your experience there? Basically anything you want to share. <laughs> okay. Um, so my kids are now 17 and 11. Um, I found out that my 17-year-old had hearing loss when he was four. At this point, when I think back, I'm not sure if it was a gradual hearing loss and I didn't all the way pay attention to all the signs or if it was kind of overnight. But he was born hearing, passed all of his newborn hearing tests. Um, he had developed speech and started, um, he actually knew how to read by the time that he was four years old. And his speech started to get a little slurred. His teachers in preschool started to notice a little difference in the way he interacted with everyone. He often asked for confirmation, like if you told him to go put something in the trash, he would walk over to the trash and say, here, right here, this. And if you told him to put his shoes on, he would ask like over and over to, to make sure he understood what you were saying. And I kind of just thought that he was being silly or, you know, he was still, you know, still a little boy. Mm -hmm. um, so one day we were outside. And I always cry when I get to this part, sorry. But one day we were outside, the ice cream, we were playing on the swing, and the ice cream truck came by. He jumped off the swing and ran in the house to get his wallet because he wanted some ice cream. And he was like, Mom, I got to go get my money. I'll be right back. And so the ice cream truck went down to the end of the cul-de-sac. And I was like, well, you know, I, I knew something had been going on. So this is like my special, my own hearing test. And so I had him, I asked, when he came back out, I asked him if he wanted to play hide and go seek. And so I had him hide and the ice cream, he's hiding and the ice cream truck came back so he couldn't see it. And it turned out the neighborhood, he never noticed it. And I just cried. So at this point, I knew that something was going on. I knew that he did have some type of hearing loss, but I wasn't sure the extent of his hearing loss. Got it. Um, so because he couldn't I, hear the music from the ice cream truck. He was only noticing it visually. He saw it. Mm -hmm. So my goodness. So, so let me just say about the thing you mentioned about like how he would ask for confirmation and how he was actually doing all of these communication strategies, compensating for not being able to, to hear, which are the things that we would train children on and, and help families to incorporate those things. He was doing that naturally just as a way to communicate and make sure he did the right thing. So that's so interesting that he was doing that he did it behaviorally. Yeah. And when I think about it, because there was months 
that like so he's 17 so back then he had a leapfrog like that was the video game for him right and so he would play his little leapfrog learning game and he would hold it up to his ear and it was loud and so i was like i'm here why are you playing you know but it was a lot of music and he liked music so i thought maybe he was jamming i like to play my music loud you mm-hmm. know yeah um, so like i said like Looking back, like after we got the diagnosis and when we got the diagnosis, that was even crazy. I took him to his pediatrician, PCP, whatever, um, told him what happened. And they, he's like, oh, he's fine. But if it makes you feel better, we can test his hearing. So they take us, or took him into the room and test his hearing. He passed the hearing test that they gave him there. Hmm. And I was like, well, no, something something can't be right. His, his speech started to get a little slurred. He didn't hear the ice cream truck. He keeps on asking for confirmation. So I'm like, something something's going on. Maybe he's autistic. I don't know. But something, something isn't the way it was this time last year. Something is different. Yeah. So I ended up just taking him to an ENT on my own. Listen and- to that mom intuition right there. Keep, keep fighting, keep pushing. Even when other people are like, no, everything's fine. You have that sense. Even if you're not sure what it is, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So that test came back that he failed. And that was a devastating, like, even though I knew something, like I wanted, I was expecting an answer. So as happy as I was to know that he had hearing loss, the way the hearing loss was delivered. The news. Yeah. That was hard. So the doctor, you know, like you go in and you have the audiologist, the, the hearing test, and then you go back another day to talk to the ENT. I'm a crybaby, sorry. That's okay. This is a lot. You know, even though it was years and years ago, these are things that affect the rest of your relationship and the rest of everything that you've been through with him. So it's really so, okay. Yes, please do. So I go back and meet with the ENT. And that's when you get the actual diagnosis, right? And so he's like, well, your son is deaf. He's going to need a cochlear implant. There's nothing we can do. I didn't know what a cochlear implant was. I, I mean, for a long time, I didn't even remember the word. I was like, he needs something called a cochlear uh, It's two words. I don't like, and then it was like, he, he didn't want us to be there anymore. Like, hmm. I didn't feel like he, he even wanted to help our family, to service our family, take them to this, you know, this other place, that guy over there knows what to do with kids like yours. And so, and being so long ago, there were no, like, now I feel like there's more support groups, more, um, like Facebook wasn't even what it is now. At that time, Facebook was only for college kids. And like, I had the oldest kid of all of my friends, <laughs> of all of my friends. None of my friends really had kids at that time. And those that did, didn't definitely didn't have a kid with hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And so, trying to find information on what a cochlear implant was. Is he really deaf to the extent that he needs a cochlear implant? Like, I understand hearing loss, but you're telling me that he's deaf to the point that he has to have a surgery that'll make him hear? That's like a new level mm-hmm. kind of deaf. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And then I also have to process that he can't hear, but there's a device that can help him hear. And what does that look like? Does that mean that he's going to hear just like me? What does it mean that this device is going to help him hear? So I took him to two more doctors <laughs> for a hearing test, well, two more well, practices in general to get a hearing test and then to see what that ENT thought. And um, I remember one of the ENTs was 
overexcited to have a kid that needed a cochlear implant. He was like, all these things, like he, he brings out like the demo case of mm-hmm. a cochlear implant. It's like in this big, shiny briefcase. It looked like it was made out of copper and silver or something. And he popped it open and he's showing me the internal device and the external device and telling me about how they do the surgery and how much the surgery costs and how much he gets for the surgery and uh, how like he doesn't do as many as the doctor that I was referred to from the first audiologist that we went to. He does about 10 of them a week. I do about four. He's, I was just like, it was so overwhelming. So now I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like totally irrelevant to, to what probably you... probably a really cool device, but it's also a big money maker. So is this really the best decision that I should make for my kids? Because people are obviously very excited to implant kids because it costs a lot of money. So it took took a lot of research and studying for me to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. I have a cousin who's an audiologist, um, an anesthesiologist, and I called her to see, you know, I mean, I know they're different, totally different parts of medicine, but you know, it's like, girl, you're in the medical field. You can answer my question. That's right. She was like, get him an implant so he can have a regular life. Okay. And then I have a cousin that has, has always had hearing loss, but she's always had um, hearing aids. And I asked her about her thoughts on them and, you know, what she would do. And she was like, I don't like those things. They look stupid. Don't get him one of those. So now I have two people in my family that I trust that have totally opposing opinions about the device. But my one cousin who said they look stupid, I mean, that's kind of shallow, right? That's really just a cosmetic thing. Like, what you look like. It's not that big of a deal. And then my other cousin who was in the medical field really didn't have, couldn't answer any of the questions, like the medical questions, like how risky is the surgery? Is there a lot of loss of blood? Like I had a lot of questions Mm -hmm. that going on that, that no one could really answer. So then I did the worst thing that you could do. And that was, I started um, looking at surgeries online. <laughs> oh, boy. And I saw exactly how the surgery is done. But for me, it also kind of, it made it easier for me because then I knew the, the language and the questions to ask the surgeon. So, of course, clearly we ended up deciding on getting him um, an implant. And everything moved really fast because five was the magic number. You had to implant your baby, your kid by the time they were five or they wouldn't get any benefit from having the implant. There was pretty much no use. And he was four when we really started thinking that he had hearing loss four and a half by the time he was really diagnosed and got his hearing aid. So we had to like really, really move. And he got his first implant three days after his fifth birthday. Six months later, he got his second implant. And that night I found out I was pregnant with my younger son. And so having two deaf kids, Okay. Death kids. I thought I had it all figured out. Like, oh, I know what what brand implant I'm going to get. Only makes sense to get the exact same one in my mind. Only makes sense to get the exact same one my older son has. That way they can share batteries, they can share extra parts, whatever. So we ended up doing that, getting him the exact same kind. But their hearing journeys have been totally different. Um, Right. Because your older son son was speaking. Your older son had hearing and then lost the hearing. And the younger son was born deaf. I, I just, if you don't mind, I have a little reflections for you about what you shared about everything. I talk all Ooh. the time about these reflections. Okay, <laughs> yeah. You know, because, okay, you you said, you know, how you got the news was, first of all, on a different day with a different person who wasn't even there, like the ENT, not the audiologist. And I think we need to realize 
as professionals and people listening in our in our you know world of all about audiology, what does that look like when you make an appointment and hold off on the news and hold off on giving people the results of the test? That like the days between that must have been so difficult <laughs> to say the least to wait and anticipate and worry. And then for the doctor to say, yeah, like nonchalant, he's deaf and here's what you need to do. I'm telling you, cochlear implant, boom, boom, boom. I wonder if you, if you recognize that at that point, did you feel still that you had a choice that you knew what was happening or that was just like, they're telling you what to do and you're going to do it. So in hindsight, I definitely know that I did what I was told. Do I have regret for my older son? No. Do I have possible regrets for my younger son? Yes. And we'll talk about that more later. Mm-hmm. But but no, with with my younger and my older son, I definitely relied on everything that the professionals told me. I didn't know anything about hearing loss. I didn't really think about developing like speech and language. It's not really anything that we're really taught. Like you hear people talking <laughs> and you pick up yeah. people's words. And that's kind of it. And so with him, I definitely did everything by the book. If yeah. I did what the doctors told me to do, I did, you know, I mean, he, he's great, you know, like he's literally great. <laughs> he's in all honors. Well, now he's got dual enrollment in AP classes. He graduates from high school in June and he's going um, to a, a really good college. He'll be in New York, live in Virginia, so it's going to be far away. But, oh, wow. But he's comfortable enough to to make that trip. Um, he's got the confidence that he needs. He's very, very well-spoken. Most people don't know at all that he has a hearing loss. He's been in school with the same kids for years. Last year, before you know, before they get out with the pandemic, a friend one day in the hallway actually noticed his hearing, his cochlear implant. He was like, man, what's that on your head? He was like, my cochlear implant. He was like, can you get that? He was like, I've had it the whole time. You know me. He was like, what is it for? He was like, I'm deaf. He was like, Oh, <laughs> so he does incredibly well. And that actually was a problem when he was younger. I had to remind people like he's in, he's really intelligent, but mm-hmm. he is still deaf when as a teacher, when you turn your back, if you don't have one that FM system, he's losing some of the some decibels. He's losing some mm-hmm. sound quality. He's, he, it's harder for him to follow. So with him, I had to remind people mm-hmm. that he does have a hearing loss, that he does need these accommodations, that he will need some help. With my older son, I have to remind people that he is deaf and he's going to grow up to be a deaf adult. And so he's cute, but you can't baby him because cute isn't going to work. So while I appreciate the love that people give him, he has to be pushed in ways mm-hmm. that some other kids don't have to be pushed. And they're two totally different kids. Two totally, totally different kids. So my, I feel like the story is kind of all over the place. I'm sorry, guys. No, that's okay. <laughs> but, that's, okay. Uh, that's how that's how we remember things. <laughs> the connection. But my, yeah. My younger son was implanted, so he did early intervention. He had hearing aids about three months. At the time, he was the smallest kid that the audiologist had fit for for hearing aids, mm-hmm. and he wore his hearing aids until he was a year, and then he got his cochlear implant. And he got them two separate surgeries. His anatomy is a little different. So his there's like two turns in your cochlea, right? Yeah. It makes two, like two and a half turns. So he had, and like, if you think about it as a straw, there's like, so there's like a little thing that splits it, a little membrane or something that splits it. Mm-hmm. And when they do the cochlear implant surgery, they feed it through the whatever piece they go through. And the 
leave rest on that membrane that divides the term. So he didn't have the membrane and he only had one and a half terms. Mm-hmm. So that gives him a different outcome from what he's able to gather from that's his right. implants. His yeah. anatomy just isn't set up. Oh, the that's same way. such an important point. I wish more people would understand that. There's so many factors for how somebody's going to do with an implant, including their anatomy, the, the age they were when they got implanted, what support they have, what access to healthcare they have, how often they go to mappings, and they're just their personality, their brain, how they are, and their family. So we can never, even you who had two kids in the same family, so many different factors for each one. So he got the first implant, everything went good. He got the second implant, actually. So he was implanted in Charlottesville, which is about an hour away from where we live. They don't keep kids overnight. They um, let you go home like you stay, you know, like a outpatient surgery Mm -hmm. for them. They don't, well, no matter what is outpatient, but sometimes they do outpatient and you stay in observation overnight. But this particular um, facility didn't do that after a few hours you go home and so since everything went well with the first surgery you're like oh what's the point of getting a hotel it's only about an hour away well you know come back home he's gonna sleep so we get home as the night falls he is having fluid come out of his nose mm. and I was like that's weird what is, I have no idea so we called the doctor on call and it was like a resident and the resident's like oh bring him in in the morning and so I was like okay I'll bring him or call, call back in the morning. That's what, call back in the morning. And I was like, okay. So like 30 minutes later, I call back and I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen white liquid come out of someone's nose. This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And again, the guy is like, no, it's, it's okay. So at this point, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take him to like a local hospital. Because it, what, is, is it tears? I don't have a clue what this is. So as I'm getting him dressed to take them or getting myself dressed to take him to our close hospital, the actual surgeon called and was like, bring him in here now. I think that's spinal fluid. So how, how, old is, how old is he at this point? Like nine or 10 months? He's a year and a half. Oh, a year and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we take him back. And this is the same day. It's within a 24-hour period. So they um, decided to take fat from his leg and like pack it in his ear to stop the spinal fluid from leaking through his nose. We thought that everything went well for that. He stayed in the hospital for like, I think we were there for like two days. The day that he's about to get discharged, I'm walking around the room picking up his toys and he dropped something and I bent over, which means he bent over and shh, finally comes out of his nose again. Oh, wow. And so, so this time they ended up putting him in like an induced coma and ended up taking out the implant and packed it again. And he's been fine ever since then. Um, no, he wasn't born premature. And so that's why I say when it comes to my younger son, do I think, do I have regrets? Yeah, because at the end of the day, he didn't need to go through all of that just to have hearing. Like, I could have learned sign. And I do, I do sign. <laughs> so there's so many questions. I, I feel like when we are hearing parents and we have deaf kids, like, mm-hmm. we all we know is life from a hearing side, right? And so, like so many parents say, like, oh, well, how will they listen to music? Which makes sense because we listen to music and we relate like times of life with music. Like music is very important to a lot of people who have normal hearing. Then you worry about them gaining speech and 
or just how you're going to teach them in general, or, or really not even probably teach them, but really how do you connect with your baby that doesn't communicate the way you communicate with them? At the end of the day, that's really it. How how will they know that I love them? They won't know the sound of my voice. Uh, I get that. But I also feel like they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. And that we just don't, most people don't have any experience or any exposure. They've never met a deaf person. They've never seen a deaf parent communicate with their with their baby. And exactly like you said, what our frame of references for connection and communication is what we know. So I'd love to hear about your journey with signing and with the deaf community and what happened, what happened there. So it's been very intimidating, even to this point, <laughs> um, years later, because from what I've always heard is the deaf community is not very welcoming of cochlear implant users. I remember going to a, a deaf, I think it's deaf con, or I don't know what the name of it is, something that they do every year at Gallaudet University. Mm-hmm. And so I took both of them because I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, these are your people, you know, <laughs> like, let's, I have no problem. I'm proud to say that they're deaf, regard, you know. So we walk into Gallaudet. I bought tickets to go to this thing. We walk into Gallaudet and there's all these, as soon as you walk into the gymnasium, there's all these people that, it was like shops. People came in selling their t-shirts and selling flags, you know, whatever, whatever. And their t-shirts that have cochlear implants with big X's over them. Mm-hmm. And they say that, you know, if you give your kid a cochlear implant, that you don't accept them and you don't love them, which couldn't be further from the truth. Like people do, people make the best decisions with the information that they have, period. That's right. And if you are a hearing person, then typically you, you want your child to hear and you give them a cochlear implant. Um, and so, but going back to how we navigate, it's been interesting. <laughs> it's yeah, been, yeah, um, rough. You could be, you could be honest. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I yeah. think it's the nicest word. Um, as time has gone on, I feel like the deaf community as a whole is more open to kids or people that have cochlear implants. I think more deaf adults that, you know, have been, I mean, like seriously, deaf adults that were born deaf and now they're in their 40s and especially 30s. I've met a few people that are that are about my age, late 30s, early 40s, that were born deaf. And as they became adults and had children, they decided to get implants. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know as bad as it was years ago, but I've had people inbox me. Well, not people, one person. When Facebook first became public, she sent me a message. Um, it's this cute, cute, cute picture of my older son on the swings at school. And he's like, like his face is just the most excited, joyous face. And you can see his implant. And when he was that small, he had to, he changed his cover like every day to match his shoes. <laughs> we had so many implant covers. It was ridiculous. Spider-Man, Ben 10, like we, I don't. I think we had about 20 or 30 implant covers to, for him to trade out. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to notice his implant at that time. And so she sends me this message that was the, like, I had no idea who this lady is. <sighs> and it was like the nastiest message telling me that I didn't love my son because I decided to give him an, Im- an implant and I was a horrible mother because if I loved him, I would have just accepted him for who he was. That is so tough. Uh, and I feel like people speak from their own experience. And people know what they know. And that doesn't excuse bad behavior like that, like sending random people messages that you don't even know. It's just the self-righteousness of I know better on every side. Like the people who are like, you must use this or you must do that. No matter which one you're saying, like no one must do anything. And they certainly don't have to do what you think. (laughs) And you don't know all the factors and you don't know 
what people, what they knew, what they wanted, what their family was like. You don't know anything about anyone from a picture. Definitely not. And that's so tough. And I think that's one of the biggest missions of the podcast here is to bring some unity around like different choices, but to hope that everyone knows what those choices are. And I feel that at that time, you being a hearing mom, they said, we know what to do. Here's a cochlear implant. And then when you look over here to say, oh, I actually want to be involved in deaf community. I want my children to be exposed to other deaf people. Then you felt rejected there. So it's like everybody boxing you in. And I agree with you that things have changed over time. Um, Definitely with the internet allowing everybody to connect more. I think we saw more differences. And also as much as the cochlear implant has improved, the technology really has exponentially gotten better year over year. Things, it it is more shady, like a gradient (laughs) that it's not deaf or cochlear implant. It's like, Maybe you could have some hearing loss or some frequencies and have a cochlear implant, or you could, you know, sign and there's a lot more ands instead of either or. And I hope yeah. more, more parents know about I, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm clearly an advocate of cochlear implants. I have two kids that have them, but I am a bigger, the biggest advocate of doing what's right for your family, period. Right. Right. And you may decide when your kid first gets an implant that, or, or you first get the diagnosis that you want your kid to have an implant because that's what's right for you guys at that time. But as time goes on, if that kid doesn't want to wear an, the implant, some kids do. Like, believe it. At first, I thought, of, I didn't understand that. I was like, what do you mean? Like, you have the opportunity to hear and then you decide you don't want to. It's exhausting for them. I don't think it, it ever gets to the point that it's not exhausting for them, especially in different environments. So my older son, for as well adjusted as he is and how amazed the world seems to be by him. When he is in a crowded setting, he changes. He becomes like his best self when he's in small groups. Then he is very comfortable. He laughs, he interacts, he engages. He's he's a different person. Even like we have a pretty large family. So if we have like a Thanksgiving and there's 25 of my family members. His personality is totally different when family members come over and it's five of us. Right, right. His conversation is totally different. And no matter what, it's still a device. And so it kind of tr- makes me chuckle a little bit when I see advertisements about cochlear implants and it, they just have crazy things going. Like a person is driving a convertible down the street uh, at the beach yeah. and talking on the phone with the top down. And they're just like following everything. On the phone. <laughs> That's the commercial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't use a cochlear implant, but I know that when I'm in the car with my son and I have the window down, he's like, I can't hear, I can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. All you, you can, can hear is the wind. The lady with the yeah. commercial can drive down. <laughs> yeah. I think there was one with, um, it was like an amusement park. And amusement parks are very intense sensory environments. There's like people screaming on roller coasters. There's music everywhere. There's such a big crowd. That's not the ideal environment for communication. (laughs) And speaking of like things like that, they always have to adjust. Like my kids love roller coasters. When they take off, when they ride roller coasters, they take off their implants and put it in their pocket. Yeah. Um, When they go swimming, (laughs) they just leave their implants. Yeah. Yeah. I want to share what Monica here has commented. Monica says, I have a moderate hearing loss. My personality changes a lot depending on the social dynamics happening at the moment. Thanks for sharing that, Monica. That's so, it's so true. And I think it's important for more parents to be aware of that and help their children, not to put them in situations when they're young. I mean, you know, not to put them in situations that are so, so challenging and then not um, give them tools how to handle that and be like, 
why are you sitting alone? Why are you crying? And it's like, this is why. (laughs) Yeah, was it? We've been in COVID for so long. So I think it was the summer before last. Yeah. I went I went to a distant family member's um, cookout. And it just so happened that her husband has a family member who was deaf. And I think she has a cochlear implant, but she got hers later on in life. But her parents, oh, her story makes me cry. So her parents, I think she may have been about 12 or something when she got her implant. I know she ended up going to a deaf school for high. And from what she said, like she she loved it there. She was in a community where, you know, where she was, it was easy for her to communicate with everyone. She had a great, great time. Parents felt like when she was at that school that the deaf community taught her that her parents didn't love her and they they were not tolerant of her because they didn't. uh, Now she is older. I think she's like 23, 24 at this point. So there was division. It, it was able to be division between her school life and her family life because, really, because of communication differences. But the point of the story is that she did have on her cochlear implant, but her communication at this point, even with her cochlear implant, she needs to see you in order to tell. And this is like for real, a country black cookout. Like there was like the smoker going, it was the DJ is going, you got people over somewhere else playing horseshoes. Like it was for real. Everything you see on TVs about Southern black families having a cookout, that's exactly what it was, right? So she has a baby. Her child at the time was about six months and her kid was crying. And like she's standing, you know, right, maybe like three feet away, but her back is turned. She couldn't hear her cry. And so her aunt tried to get her attention. Sorry. Her aunt tried to get her attention by calling her name. She didn't respond to it. She didn't hear it. Like she literally didn't hear it. There's so much stuff going on. So then her aunt, like she called her like her name like three times. Her aunt hit her. She <gasps> wants you to, yeah, she's a grown woman. And with a child that has a hearing loss, she didn't, she didn't hear her. She, the aunt hit her and said, I've been calling your name. This is your niece. Like, you've known her all her life. She did not hear you. She's not being disrespectful. She's not ignoring you. She does not have the capability to hear someone calling her name over the sound of the fish frying, over the sound of the horseshoes, over the sound of the cards, over the sound of the laughter, over the sounds of the DJ. And then you startled her. She's in her safe place with family and you hit her to get her attention. It made me so mad. That's awesome. Now we're outside <sighs> in the country. It gets super dark out there. There's no city lights anywhere. And everyone is having, they have like the little centronella candles on the table. That's enough for us to see and follow conversation because we don't need to see lips in order to follow a conversation. That's not what we need. We hear, right? Yeah. Her parents don't find. And so they're getting frustrated with her because they, because she cannot follow the conversation. How hard is it to learn a little bit of freaking sign language so you can communicate with your child in different environments? For me, no judgment, really no judgment, but it breaks my heart when I, when people feel like an implant is the absolute bottom fix. It's not a fit for a deaf kid. It is a device. And it's great. They can do really amazing things with it. But when my kid takes his implant off, he can't hear. When my kid is playing soccer and he's or baseball and he's I'm on the bleachers and he's on the field, if you're calling his name, he's not gonna hear it like like the other kids on his team. He's yeah. not gonna respond to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess my little PSA is even if you if you do like 
give your kid an implant, still give them support to hear in different environments because the way they're going to hear in different environments is not going to be the same. And they may do activities that really make sense for them to take their implant off. I met a a kid that wrestles. Well, he wrestles death. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think you're so right. First of all, your your story with this cousin or family member is heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. And to know, like you said, the amount of effort, the amount of effort it takes to communicate with people who are, who are not understanding the needs that you have and forget advocating, blaming you for not, not being able to hear. That's so, so difficult. And then the, the visual cues, having good lighting, having setup that makes sense for people. Like you have to think about these things for inclusion. When did you start to learn sign? Because you came into that event and you didn't feel welcome there at all, that Gallaudet event. So when did it kind of come around? um, With going into getting Malachi, my younger son, implanted, I knew that his, I didn't think that we would have the journey that we had with explantation and everything. But I knew that it it wasn't going to be the same. And for him as it was for my, my younger son. First of all, the whole first year, he had a hearing aid. But if you have a cochlear, if you are a candidate for cochlear implant, then your hearing is bad enough that you're really not getting much from the hearing aid anyway. So I decided to do sign language with him because I needed him to have language. Like, he needed to have language. He can't go a whole year. He already fished gestation with no sound. And then he's going to have to go a whole year with no language. Like, that wasn't a good idea for me based on the little bit I knew about speech and language development, right? Yeah, so, you learned a lot. Uh, so we started to do sign for that reason and then of course he got implanted and we did we did auditory verbal therapy and that was tricky too because at the time auditory verbal therapists were not into giving um visual clues and so you (laughs) just like (laughs) that didn't work for me for my younger child for my older child he took well to it but Mm -hmm. my younger kid it didn't work. I was like, no, he needs to see you. And there's nothing wrong with him seeing your mouth in yeah. order to tell what, you know, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, everyone's like, oh, they lip read so well, but you give a kid a cochlear implant, then you don't want them to see your lips. Like, none of this stuff makes any sense. When I had, when my younger son was born, going through hearing loss with him, I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. None of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. I don't like this. I'm not going to do this. Y'all can do what y'all want to do. That's fine but I'm not going to do this. (laughs) So he needed sign language, period. Like he needed sign language. He needed sign language to understand what we were saying to him. And it took him longer to understand the importance of language in general. So I would sign with him and he didn't produce any sign. It took him a while, but he understood it. So the reception, right? Yeah, it's receptive. Yeah, the receptive language was there, but the- Expressive. Expressive. Okay. The expressive language was not. So he started school, like going into the school building at three with a a, um, deaf and hard of hearing teacher in kindergarten. So he started, he would sign himself first grade, but his speech got getting to the point that people could understand and he really wanted to talk to people. Um, or not, he's always wanted to talk to people. Let me stop that. He is very, very overly social, very yeah. friendly. Mm-hmm. But getting to the point that um, people outside of like our household could understand what he said, yeah, he was probably in, in really like the second or third grade. 
So you were, you were kind of doing this dual thing where you were going to the auditory verbal therapy, but you weren't on board with all the principles. And then you were also introducing sign and you had this. So I get to the point, sorry to cut you off. I get to the point with his auditory and verbal therapy that, that I was like, hold on, I pay you. (laughs) You're the best. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Parents, parents pay attention. (laughs) If, if I say that this is what I want for my kids, so we're in this session. He was like having a meltdown because yeah. they, you know, the covering of the mouth and stuff. And I was like, like that day, I just wasn't on that train. I couldn't take it anymore. And um, I'm like, okay, well, he's, this isn't working. And so either we're going to sit here for an hour, having him freak out because you're covering your mouth, or you can not cover your mouth so we can have a successful session. She's like, well, this is auditory verbal therapy. We don't do that. And I was like, this is a therapy session that I'm paying for. And so either you can do as I ask, or we can leave and we don't have to come back anymore. That's right. And, and <laughs> that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like, yeah. So the office called a few times and wanted to know, like, why we hadn't been back. And she's, because the speech, I remember saying, well, he has enough hearing that he can really gain speech and speak well. And I was like, but if he wants to use sign language, then that's up to him. Like, some, some people do have enough that they can gain speech pretty well but their voice quality is off and then there's jerks in the world that make them feel bad because their voice sound different so then they choose not to use their voice and use sign what is wrong with that that's right i want to just tell you um as an analogy that uh my grandmother when she was a very young girl she lived in france and she it was during the holocaust she was hidden uh, taken in into a monastery with nuns to save her life. So she was pretending to be an orphan. Her mother put her there. And her mother, my great-grandmother, paid the nuns that she should be an orphan in this orphanage so that they wouldn't take her for being Jewish. And she had to pretend that she was a Christian little orphan. And although it saved her life, she came out of that with very immense trauma from the way the nuns treated the kids. And one of the things she talks about is that they would tie down their left hand and everyone had to be right-handed no matter what to write. And she was left-handed. And how much of a struggle. And they would tie her hand behind her back. And they would hit her with like a ruler. And, you know, in the big context of like, there was a Holocaust and 6 million people died. Like, you know, it's almost hard for her to say this was traumatic. Meanwhile, it saved her life. She was six years old. She was tiny. So I'm sorry to go off on this tangent. But sometimes I think about the left-hand, right-hand thing. Like, and so she was left-handed makes zero implication on anything else in your life. And yet they treated this as such a defect that they had to like beat it out of her. And she can write with both hands. She, that's kind of her party trick is that she's ambidextrous, but it's horrible that she had to go through that. And when you're telling the story, it sounds to me like sometimes we want to help in such a roundabout way that we are harmed on the way. That is not going to work for every family. Is auditory verbal therapy awesome and helps a lot of kids become verbal and auditory? Yes. And it works for a lot of kids. And it's very great for families who really invest in that and that their child can accept that and receive that. But you were seeing it wasn't working for him. It was making him frustrated. And he had this other way of communicating. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, mama. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, to to also add to this point of like, we don't compare traumas. We don't go like, you know, at least you have this. At least you have health care. At least, at least, the whole at least. There is no at least. Anything that makes you feel overwhelmed, unheard, misunderstood, overlooked, that can be traumatic to you and affect you and make it that it's difficult for you to communicate or like stay present in life. 
and it affects you years later too. So I'm proud of you is my point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know that I would have had that strength with my first son. Mm. It was kind of different. He didn't get frustrated. Well, maybe, I don't know. Well, you were seeing progress, right? Yeah. I think going through it two times made me, made me a little different and seeing it from two totally different angles because the first time it was like, oh, this cochlear implant is this miracle device and it's going to make our lives normal and and we're going to do everything that we want. So now I have, even though they're six years apart, they're only a year apart in hearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a year apart in hearing, but maybe technically too. But I had been through auditory and verbal therapy. I had been through the surgery. I had been, you know, I had been through finding a school. I had been through, which was another journey too. I didn't, um, but I just felt more confident in what I, mm-hmm. and I also got to the point that I started thinking about the fact that these are professionals. So they do like, we all have jobs, period. And that is their job. My job is being his mom. I have a job. I talk to a lot of parents when I work. I don't share at work what I share with my personal friends. Like, it's my job. I look at things from the perspective of my job so I can keep my job. (laughs) (laughs) So if I were an auditory verbal therapist, I wouldn't tell anyone something that's going to make them not come to me because I need them to come to me because that's the way I make my look. So, and I'm not, please don't take it as me trying to say not to trust your therapist or, you know, anything like that. I'm just saying that, Make it as much of a partnership as you can interview them if you can. Maybe instead of going to the one that's as close to your home, that you go a little further. It got to the point for, for our um, audiologist, I didn't go to the one that's right here in my city 30 minutes away. I drove an hour and 50 minutes away to get to the audiologist because that audiologist was more patient with my kids. There you go. So, mm-hmm. uh, so my older son, did not getting mad for him was an episode. He cried every time he got mad. It was an adjustment, mm-hmm. and we had to go through like a whole production. <laughs> like every time he got mad, he had to get adjusted to his new mapping. My younger son doesn't care. Like he gets his mat, he points at the little smiley faces, and <laughs> he's happy and goes on about his day. He, mm-hmm. It doesn't bother him at all. So it was worth making that drive because it made him more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I get that it may be a, a certain level of privilege that allowed me to to drive out there. So I don't want to I don't want to ignore that. But if you can yeah. make a way to do that, it definitely is worth it. Them being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, being comfortable with um, with their health care because after all, they're gonna get to the point that they, they have to do it for themselves, right? Yeah. So that relationship with an audiologist is gonna be a relationship that they have for the rest of their life. And so I feel like I'm teaching them what they need to expect from their caregivers. Ah, what they're going to tolerate. That's right. <laughs> I just had also an amazing conversation with um, Janet DeGeorge, who is the executive director of Hands and Voices. It was amazing. Okay, cool. She's an amazing woman. And she was talking about this topic too. The moment where her kid was old enough that the audiologist asked her daughter questions. And she said, she was like jumping in to answer. And then she said, oh, wait, like I'm not the patient. You know, at a certain point, you're the parent, the mom, you're in charge, you're the manager, you're answering, you're in charge of everything. And then you have to hand that off and let them be their own person and their own advocate. And they, it's their journey. Like it, you hand it over. And that was a whole journey for her. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really big. I remember, so with my younger son, when, we, when he goes to the doctor, I request an interpreter. He needs to know now 
that is your right. You have the right to an interpreter. So whether he's going to the dentist or the audiologist or the ENT, but we really don't go to the ENT, but whoever, whoever we're going to see, I request an interpreter. And the, we went to the ER before, and of course they didn't have an interpreter, so they used the computer to have an interpreter. And the doctor kept on looking at the screen, and I'm like, he's the patient. Yeah. She can hear. <laughs> Look at him when you're talking to him. That's respectful. So that was another argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Look at him. When you're, th- you're talking to him. He's the one that has the digit. She's here to make sure that what you're saying is relayed to him. But he's the one that deserves the respect of you looking at him. Don't tell her, oh, ask him to <laughs> just talk and she'll say it. <laughs> yeah. She'll say it. Look at him. But you have to you have to train people how to treat you, period. That's right. Like, That's right. I, 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 a that lot of it is that people don't know. They haven't had experience of working with an interpreter. But that doesn't mean you can't still be the one to teach them. <laughs> Like, like we can, we can understand people and still insist on what we need. And it isn't, oh, they don't know. Therefore I shouldn't speak up. They don't know and speak up. (laughs) Yeah. That's incredible. All right. So we're going to wrap up this awesome episode of the All About Audiology podcast with one last question for you. What advice would you give to parents out there and or professionals who listen to the show? Parents? I would say don't get wrapped up in your kid having hearing loss. Get wrapped up in your kid in general. Mm, I so sweet. <laughs> I miss so much time or being concerned about paying attention to what I need to do to develop my kids to have speech and language. That uh, that was totally consuming me. Like I made so much of my life being a parent of a deaf child versus being a, the parent of a kid who happens to be deaf, which is crazy. Because I always wanted, told them that they were amazing kids that happened to be deaf. But I parented, I made my life being mm. a parent of a deaf child. Mm-hmm. If that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And when it comes to professionals, I think I would say to a professional to make recommendations, well, to educate and then follow and make recommendations based on the education, following the lead, your family, pick up somebody's poking up, wants to say hi. The professionals have so much impression and people will follow their lead so much. And most professionals don't know what it's like to raise a child with a speech impediment. So they don't really have to think about the concerns that you're thinking about. How is your child going to do a dance class? How is your child going to do taking the SATs? You know, like, yeah. Their how they view their child that child is as a patient and they have a responsibility to them as a patient in whichever arena of that healthcare cycle may be. Mm-hmm. But a parent is really having to look at the child holistically. And so follow, of course, be the professional and but educate so parents can make sound decisions and then make recommendations based on the following the lead that the parent. Yeah, I love that. I like to think of it as a pie with lots of slices and each professional or person that you interact with, it's their slice. So you're going to have the teacher and she's focused on her educational goals and you're going to have the audiologist and they're focusing on audition and language. And then you're going to have like, you know, their music teacher who maybe wants them to really excel at music. And then you have their coach who's like in their, their sport. And all of them are very devoted to your kid in that area for the time they spend with them, which is an hour a week or one appointment every six months or whatever, the, the or the teacher even many hours a day. 
But the only person who sees the whole pie, <laughs> not to um, objectify children as food, but you know, I'm trying to make a metaphor here. Right. It doesn't always work out, my metaphors. <laughs> No, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. the person that sees yeah. the whole pie <laughs> is, is the parent. And the person that they want to save the whole pie. You know, like, everyone brings, somebody is bringing the sugar, somebody is bringing the, what kind of pie they sweet potatoes, somebody <laughs> is bringing the butter. But I want to keep my whole pie. So I want, I want the right, the best sugar. I want the best egg. I want the best butter. I want the best whatever, whatever for my whole pie. Nice. It's mine. Yes, yes. <laughs> And, you know, if we're going here, let's keep going. I think you were mentioning <laughs> that you, like, maybe forgot some of the spices. Like, don't forget to put in your nutmeg and don't forget some of that cinnamon. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have a good sweet potato pie, but, you know, don't forget to make it, like, you know, with that real kick. The special magic touch of also remembering your kid is a whole pie. <laughs> That's it. It's over. This thing is over. You're hilarious. So fun. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining today. Thank you all for listening. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast.